Hello, welcome to Adventures in Angular, the podcast where we keep you updated on all things Angular related. This show is produced by two companies, Top and Devs and Envoy. Top and Devs, where we create top end devs who get top end pay and recognition while working on interesting problems and making meaningful community contributions. And Envoy, which offers remote design and web development services with specialization in Angular and functional programming for companies that truly care about quality. In today's episode, we will talk about signals in Angular. Signals are a new way of dealing with reactive values. They are similar to RxJS in terms of the problem that they solve, but they differ from RxJS in the way that they solve the problem of reactivity. My name is Lucas Paganini. I'm the CEO of Envoy and your host in the podcast. Joining me in today's episode is Armin Vardanian. Hi, everyone. Nice to be back on the show. Nice to have you, Armin. And Charles Maxwood from Top and Apps. Hey, everybody. All right. So um, we already brought up this subject of signals in a recent episode of one of the other shows that we produced, which is JavaScript Jabber. So if you want to check out a more uh, framework, framework agnostic view on signals in JavaScript in general, then we will leave the link to this episode in the description. It was a very interesting episode. So Chuck was there. Um, he probably has a lot to say about this. And talking specifically about signals in Angular, I guess that Armin is the one that knows more about this than any of us. So I guess we can start with Armin. Like, can you give us a brief introduction of the subject of what is signals, which problem do they solve, and then we can go into how exactly do we use signals in Angular. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, let's get started. Uh, so first, we need to realize uh, what are signals, essentially, uh, without like Angular. Uh, what problems do they solve? And what is the difference between uh, RGS observables and signals? Uh, what problem they are going to solve? Why we need them? And finally, how it is going to be implemented in Angular and how are we going to build applications around signals? Because this is really going to be big. Uh, I believe Angular version 16 is going to be like the largest release, even larger than like uh, V9 with Ivy and everything, because this will actually change how we see Angular apps, how we develop them. The entire developer experience is going to be really changed after this release. So uh, I guess we should start with uh, trying to understand what signals are. Okay. Uh, of course, someone will be tempted to say that this, like they're observables, but they're a bit more primitive. And the Angular team uses this uh, nomenclature, like, oh, this is a reactive primitive. Uh, and this is true to an extent, but there are significant differences from RxJS and how RxJS functions. So a signal essentially is just a, an object or a function that uh, is a getter. It can return a value uh, and also has a setter. So you can set a new value uh, and then you will have the new value everywhere because it's going to propagate that change. And if someone uh, somewhere depends on it, uh, then they will get notified that, that this value has changed. 
Okay. So in that sense, it sounds like RHS observable. The main difference here is they are synchronous. Signals are always synchronous. RHS observables, they can be synchronous. If you create an observable from an array, for example, it's going to be synchronous. It's not going to wait for another uh, task queue or something. Uh, but uh, uh, in this case, signals are going to be synchronous all the time. They will always have a value. Uh, so in, in the case of observables, I can create an empty observable that will never emit, or I can create a observable that emits event when the user clicks a button and the user just never clicks the button. Okay, uh, So no empty values. It always has a value, a default value. Uh, so in that sense, it's kind of like a behavior subject if we try to compare it. But still, there are differences because behavior subjects can be async, no asynchronous stuff with signals. Uh, and another problem with observables that people tend to overlook is that actually observables can change their behavior when you subscribe to them. We have cold observables, we have hot observables, right? Uh, we also have observables that only execute when, when we subscribe to them, like the HTTP client provides us with different methods to execute uh, HTTP API calls, and they all return observables, but until we, they are lazy. So unless we subscribe to them, they won't execute. If we subscribe several times, they will execute several times, and so on. Mm -hmm. So nothing like that with the signals. Signals are very primitive. Uh, they hold a value. They will notify the changes. Uh, and they won't even notify like directly. There is no way to subscribe to a signal. What can be done is either you can create a computed value, use some signals, combine them, I don't know, filter them, map them to a new value, compute essentially a new value from an existing signal or signals. Uh, that's one way of getting notified that something changed. You, you also get this new computed value. Uh, and you can also define an effect, a side effect. So essentially you say that uh, do something when some signals change. Uh, so here I'm going to go a bit ahead and say uh, that in Angular, we're going to talk about the implementation more, but in Angular, it's going to be really straightforward that there will be an effect function that will get a callback, and that's it. No other arguments, no anything. And it has, and it's going to have uh, perfect dependency tracking. We're, we're going to talk about it. It's, it's like public information at this point. So that is what a signal is. Uh, the cool thing is framework agnostic, really. Even the Angular implementation, in the end, possibly it might end up somewhere on NPM as a separate package that you can use in another framework if you like, or, or with just vanilla JavaScript, because it really doesn't depend on anything. Uh, it's uh, uh, It really solves a bunch of problems that Angular faces. So let's understand what problems it tries to solve. Well, uh, one word, Zone.js. Uh, this has been uh, kind of a bane for lots of developers, like why do we need this in our bundle and so on. But uh, actually, if you look deeper, it's been even more of a problem for the Angular core team because uh, we'll now briefly talk about how change detection works, but essentially they needed to keep Zone.js updated all the time. They needed to kind of should fix and, and issues on it and have like weird bugs and so on and so on. So all of those problems are going to go away when you fully adopt a signal-based application. Uh, so that is like sort of the agenda that we are going to talk about. So 
next, I think we can dive into the uh, Angular implementation and how it will work under the hood with ZonJS and without ZonJS. I wanted to jump in here real quick because uh, in our discussion on JavaScript Jabber, um, there was discussion around, you know, yeah, how this is being adopted by other frameworks, you know, like React, I think was the one that was most talked about. Um, hadn't seen a whole lot for Vue, but it, it's interesting that this is getting so much traction. Um, I guess it started with Solid JS, and so no, Vue already has it in there, and people picked it up, and yeah, they've been putting it in other stuff. Um, if you go look at the syntax, it's very simple and it's very easy to use. So, I think that's part of the appeal too, right? It's not just hey, it solves some of these issues, but it's also hey, this is really easy to look at and know what's going on. I think that, and I might be wrong, but Vue.js had signals actually before Solid. It's just that Solid oh, completely built an app uh, framework around that that really took off and it pop, got popularized. So now Angular has it. And uh, I don't think React is going to adopt it, though. They they said they're gonna optimize their own like data flow mechanism, but they're not going to adopt signals. Uh, I yeah, saw the one that by, I saw uh, was on Preact. Ah, I see. Uh, uh, I saw a tweet from Dan Abramov. He said like we like to pretend that uh, everything gets re-executed when the state changes. That's how we see. Uh, sort of change detection in React, uh, and I and I and I kind of get that, but um, you know, it's more of a opinion based thing in this case. It has its own bunch of problems, but obviously, signals are gonna have sweet guns too. So, no exact one right opinion about this, I think. But it's definitely gonna be good for Angular. Uh, so, Armin, um, before we go deeper into. Um, which problems it solves, like you were discussing. We were going to go deeper into ZoneJS and the problems with ZoneJS and how Signal solved that. But just so that we recap everything that you said, because you gave us so many relevant information, I just want to make sure that it's on top of everyone's mind before we go into the next uh, part of the, the topic. So uh, if I get it correctly, so signals are a reactive primitive. So this is how the Angular team is calling them. So they solve the problem of reactivity, which just so that everybody understands, it's when something changes in your state, you need to reflect that change in everything that also depends on that state and also reflect that in the UI. So you add a new user, then you have an input that is auto-completing the list of users. This is listening to the, the amount of users that you have on the system and et cetera. So you have to react to the changes in the state in all places that should answer to changes in that state. So this is the problem that it solves. And we already have a solution for this in Angular, which is RxJS, but signals differ from RxJS in the sense that first, they are always synchronous. So RxJS allows you to have synchronous and asynchronous pipes of values, but in signals, it's always synchronous. Also, signals do not have empty values, which is something that we could have with RxJS. 
Um, we could have empty observables that never emit or maybe subjects that never emit. So that's not something that we would have with signals. Also, we don't have that distinction between hot versus code or as some developers prefer to call it, um, lazy versus eager. So it's always eager. You don't have code signals or lazy signals. They're always hot. They're always eager. They are framework agnostic. So even the Angular implementation itself could um, maybe with a few adjustments, but could technically be used in other scenarios too. Um, and the problems that it solves are, first, we're going to go deeper into uh, the problems that we have with Zone.js and the problems that Signal solve instead of Zone.js. And also, it probably also solves the problem of complexity for uh, reactivity in Angular, right? Because reactivity in Angular is super complex because RxJS is, is complex. So we introduce a middle step in which developers can start with that. And then perhaps there will be situations where they will need to use RxJS because signals won't be enough. But at least they will be, they will have an easier learning curve instead of having to learn RxJS right from the start. Is that right? Absolutely correct. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, in the sense of uh, easing the learning curve, that's probably the best benefit for it. Mm -hmm. uh, you, we are not going to get rid of RxJS even inside the Angular because we have lots of API that work with observables uh, like HTTP client, the most famous example being. Um, we have other stuff to like query params and so on. Uh, but uh, the general direction that it is kind of heading is less RxJS, but with a better experience of working with it. Uh, I think we'll discuss a bit uh, more uh, later. I would like to kind of focus on how it solves like the Zone.js problem and why Zone.js is a problem. Uh, like to start with, right? So if you are not very familiar with how change detection works in Angular, it's actually kind of a very straightforward solution to the problem and one that might sound like too much, uh, like people didn't want to over-engineer something and, and in the end kind of like ended up in a situation where we needed to over-engineer stuff. So Angular uses Zone.js, right? And what Zone.js does for Angular, I've actually uh, written an article recently called Angular Misconceptions. Uh, and the first point I'm talking about is that Zone.js doesn't do change detection. Change detection is not that we have some data that changes and we need to understand what and where. That's not the change detection part that Zone.js works for. Change detection is an Angular framework goes over your component tree to try to find out where has something changed to then re-render and update the UI. That's what change detection is. And there is nothing related to Zone.js there. And that's the cool part. That's what allows us to try solutions to decouple from Zone.js. And essentially right now, you can build applications that don't use Zone.js. You can just use like change detector ref and call detect changes manually. Or 
you can turn everything into observables, use the async file, which calls change detector ref, detect changes, and so on under the hood. Okay, so it's not something really new, but uh, the thing is, is that all of those solutions are really ugly. Like you don't make everything into an observable. You have values that are so simple as don't change. It's really an overkill to make everything into observables that are memory heavy. They uh, when you pass them to the async pipe in different scenarios, you get lots of subscriptions, lots of stuff in the memory. So that's not really a very good solution. What you would like to have ideally is to have something small that can just tell the Angular sort of uh, framework that, oh, you know, I changed. Can you please, you know, look at this and maybe update the UI? What ZoneJS does, uh, it patches all the asynchronous APIs because they have this assumption that if something changed in the application state, then it changed asynchronously. And that's actually a correct uh, assumption because you run through your application one time, you render stuff, and then your script is gone. Now you just have listeners and different async events that can change the state. So they monkey patch like set timeout, set interval, and I don't know, request animation frame, and promises, and fetch, and so on, and so on, and so on. Lots of stuff gets monkey patched for the purpose of knowing that some async event occurred. So possibly some application state changed. So now there is a clearing problem that we know that something happened, but that doesn't necessarily mean that something changed. The user scroll somewhere doesn't necessarily mean that the data has changed or anything. So Angular, every time that it gets some events from ZoneJS, uh, it assumes that something might have changed somewhere and it starts this top-down process of checking all the components, which is uh, obviously a complex process. It takes time, it takes memory, uh, and in general results in some weird decisions like, you know, don't call templates, uh, I'm sorry, don't call functions in templates and so on because all they are going to be re-executed on every change detection cycle. It would be ideal if the developers never knew that there is a change detection cycle or anything. Okay. So that's the problem that signals are going to fix. Uh, it will, uh, and I'm going to quote the Angular team, it will introduce fine-grained reactivity, fine-grained change detection. We're going to know exactly what changed, in which component, and what views are going to be impacted by that. So essentially, you are not going to need like change detection strategy on push or whatever. Uh, essentially, I'm going to spoil a, a little bit, but when you use signals, there won't be a concept of change detection strategy. You have signals, that's how it will detect changes. So obviously, no issue about that. And uh, again, the interesting thing is that they work reactively, but they are primitive values and you can work with them with a uh, sort of more understandable API than what RxJS provides. Because RxJS is a powerful tool. It provides like with 120 operators, I believe. Most of them are very useful, but you don't want to have all of that powerful machinery with you and just you're just trying to build a, a for loop and display some array items and react some 
change and whatever. So that's the problem that signals are going to change. We're going to fix how change detection is running. I'm sorry, we're going to fix when change detection is running because the change detection itself is not going to change one bit. It will work the same way. You can still, I don't know, bring change detector ref call detect changes. It's going to be the same process. What will change is when the change detection is going to be triggered. And it's not going to be triggered by random asynchronous event, by random subscriptions, by whatever. It's going to be only triggered when a sing- signal notifies that its value has changed. Okay. So I think that's that's a really big change for Angular. And it, it's going to definitely change how we view the framework, uh, even for like seasoned developers. It's gonna have a learning curve a bit for all of us. I think that the newcomers will have it easier than like the people who have worked with Angular for a long time because we're kind of used to that it doesn't function in this reactive fashion. It's a bit different, but now it's gonna be signal based more. Uh, I think lots of frameworks and uh, libraries and third party tools are gonna adopt it. Um, so yeah, that's that's about the problem that we're trying to fix. And Armin, do you know how we're going to use signals um, along with RxJS? Because, for example, um, right now, if you're using RxJS everywhere, then you can use on push change detection, but you're still using change detection from Angular. But now what you're telling me is that we won't have the concept of change detection because it will just be signal detection. So it's not like the component change, it's more like the signal emitted a new value. So uh, I imagine that the Angular team will probably even do more optimizations in the sense of only re-rendering the necessary parts that were affected by the new value of the signal instead of re-rendering the entire component view. But that's just um, speculation. But I imagine that this would be uh, uh, a performance improvement there. But I wonder... In the situations where signals aren't enough and we actually need to use RxJS, how would we use that along with signals? And also, I think it's important to let the audience know that we are asking such questions um, because we literally don't know yet because everything that we're saying here wasn't officially released. We haven't mentioned that yet thus far, but I think this is important. Like we're talking about something that will uh, be available on Angular version 16, which is, which has an, uh, a developer preview. Like you can use a pre-release version of Angular 16 and see how things are going, but it's not stable yet. So we don't really know how all of this is going to look like in the final stable official version of Angular 16 but we can already make some assumptions based on what we are seeing from the developer preview. You know, this RxJS question, uh, I will start with a fun fact. So I don't know if you participated in the developer survey uh, distributed by the Angular team. That was a developer survey, I think, in the end of 2021. Uh, that's what actually kickstarted uh, this topic that you mentioned. Uh, and one of the top questions on the survey was uh, if do the developers want more RxJS support or actually less? 
in Angular because, you know, there is a discussion like, oh, why do I need RxJS? It's hard and so on. And my developers can't learn it and so on and so on. Or, or other people, they say, oh, we need more interoperability. We need more stuff that works on RxJS. It's better and so on. Uh, and can you guess the results of the survey? Which option was, like, which option collected more votes? Because actually, ideally, 50-50. <laughs> like, developers wanted, yeah, more RxJS, but, you know, also less RxJS, okay? Uh, and uh, the team went on and did exactly that, <laughs> okay? So now we're going to have less RxJS, but with way better interoperability with Angular building blocks. Uh, so we're not going to build application on the assumption that we're also going to need RxJS. You probably won't. And lots of applications, they're not really that hard. You maybe can go around without RxJS, okay? But if you really want to use RxJS, it's going to have a separate package. Uh, the APIs are not, are not finalized yet, so I'm not, not going to say, you know, you will import this from that, but it will have a separate package for interoperability with RxJS. Uh, and you could sort of convert your uh, observables into signals. Okay. And also the other way around, because signals are also reactive. You can uh, make it stronger by converting it to a uh, RGS observable and maybe applying some operators and so on. Okay. But uh, the interoperability will going to be better. Uh, in those components, you probably won't need an async pipe because you can just turn an observable into a signal and use it in the template, and that's it. Um, what is interesting uh, in this is that it's sort of they managed to satisfy both sides of the equation. Uh, I don't like the async pipe. It has two big problems. It's a pipe. I don't like pipes. I don't like writing that in the template. It's not beautiful at all, I think. But also it has this problem that as we mentioned, observables can be empty or maybe return null. So the async pipe, uh, if you go into the source code and if you use a strict TypeScript setting, you're going to have a problem because the pipe is always returning either your value or null. Okay, So you're going to deal with that null. Even if you know 100% sure it's going to have a value, TypeScript will just not have it. And type checking your template, just say, this value is probably null. Are you doing anything about this now? Please tell me it's, it's not null or maybe something else. So getting rid of that is a big plus. So one improvement, uh, and now instantly it's way easier to work with observable. Just turn it into a signal, use it wherever you want. It works exactly like all the other signals. Uh, of course, you can't set a value on a signal that you get from an observable, obviously. Uh, so you can have only like readable signals and signals that you can write to. But that's technical, uh, like, under-the-hood thing. You don't really interact with those APIs in your code, like, directly. You just have signals. You work with them. Um, and, yeah, sure, if you try to set a value on an observable signal, it will uh, give you an error or something. Again, those APIs are not finalized. Uh, I'm not sure how it will work. So I'm not going to talk about that. But something along that line will probably happen. Uh, so, uh, of course, the APIs that exist based on observables, they're going to stay that way because, as we have mentioned 
previously when discussing what a signal is, it's synchronous. So nothing that is working in an async fashion in Angular is going to become a signal. 100%. Uh, you have, uh, I don't know, event streams or something or your custom observables, they're going to stay observables if you want to work with them in that async fashion. HTTP calls can never be uh, like interpreted as a signal. It's not a signal. You can interpret it, its value, like imagine you have an NGRX store or something, you have a value and you have a selector. You can imagine that as a signal because there is an effect working somewhere on the async part, okay? But those things are not going to be signals themselves. Uh, the NGRX team is working on introducing a signal store. That would be cool. Uh, there is an RFC on that, I believe. Uh, Surprisingly, I haven't read that yet. I just saw that it has this uh, general idea. I saw one code snippet. It was interesting. But other than that, uh, if you want more RxJS, uh, signals will only improve your experience. You won't. You don't need to subscribe to anything to do stuff. If you need to, first of all, you don't need to subscribe to store the data somewhere. The data is already the signal that you have. You can just directly use it in the template. Uh, if you want to run some third-party party side effects, just use the effect callback. You turn your observable into a signal, then write an effect. Okay, so no need to subscribe. Uh, no need to unsubscribe. Like, uh, how cool is that? Like all those articles we have been writing about. Oh, your best practice is first bullet point. You need to unsubscribe from observables. Future generations won't know that you cannot subscribe from observables because the framework is going to subscribe for them. Obviously, it's, it is something that maybe potentially can have some food guns. But I think we, we really have to explore this territory. We really have to like work in production applications with this to discover those food guns. In general, uh, if you have effects, okay, uh, the signal effects. Uh, Angular is providing you with that function. Angular will do the cleanup. Okay, you don't need to do anything. Uh, there probably will be a possibility to add a callback for a cleanup if you want to do something custom. I don't know. You have a set interval or something that you need to uh, turn off. Uh, you would be able to do that, obviously. But uh, in the term of, well, I have this effect that does this stuff, you don't need to unsubscribe or turn it off or whatever from it. Angular is going to do that for you. Uh, and if you have an observable that has been turned into a signal, Angular is going to unsubscribe from it automatically too. So there's just nothing that you will have to work uh, on that side of things. So no memory problems. Okay. Uh, and if you want, yeah. Sorry, uh, sorry to cut you. You said something uh, that I thought was you, you. You touched on that point multiple times, which was that the Angular framework seems to be going in a direction where it will be less coupled with RxJS, but it doesn't seem like you will be decoupled from RxJS. So, for example, you said how um, RxJS, how we will even have things where we can add uh, interoperability with RxJS. So that leads me to believe that we will be in a path where 
RxJS is completely optional for Angular developers. But at the same time, we also touched on the fact that we can't do everything with Signal. So as soon as you start dealing with asynchronous values, then you right now you would need to lean onto RxJS to to work with uh, with asynchronous values. So that is a scenario where we really can't uh, not use RxJS because that is the default uh, solution for asynchronous values in Angular. So um, I got really confused into how less coupled we will be with RxJS because at first I really thought that we would even be discussing being decoupled, like literally Angular being decoupled from RxJS. But as you were talking more about it, I realized that it's not really decoupling, but it's more of a less coupling. So we will still need RxJS. It just won't be uh, everywhere, but we will still have that deeply integrated in everything that we have. Uh, in, not everything, but in everything that signals don't support. Yeah, that's that's uh, kind of the direction my brain was going to was, um, so if we can put signals in for all of these things, yeah, are we going to still need RxJS? And where are we going to be using it? Like, what what does it do better or at all that Rx, or that signals doesn't do or doesn't do well? Sure. Um, you know, uh, when we say decouple from RxJS, uh, there is actually, we're actually thinking two things. First thing is that, can we build an app without RxJS? And I think the sound answer to that is a resounding yes, because, you know, React is building without RxJS. I don't know, they're doing fine. <laughs> so you don't really need RxJS. But you do need RxJS with Angular right now because, uh, I mean, it's built on top of it. It's using lots of RxJS under the hood, as we mentioned, with HTTP client, with uh, event emitter, and so on. And lots of people have been actually abusing it because uh, we assume that outputs are always going to be uh, observables. You know, event emitter actually just extends subject and adds the emit method. And it's a really simple class. And despite that, the Angular team has always been saying, you know, don't use it as an observable. Don't write like, I don't know, pipe, subscribe, and whatever to it. Just emit a value to a parent component. But, you know, I've seen lots of projects where people just use it uh, for some stuff in their component. And I, I have even seen solutions where people just use it, use the event emitter instead of the subject entirely. Now they're going to have problems uh, after this because event emitter is probably going to go away. It's a possibility. With signals, you don't need a big subject to just communicate a change to the parent's component. It's just, uh, it just wouldn't make sense. Um, there has been a discussion on Twitter like a week ago where people said, oh, how are going to be outputs look like? I actually know how they're going to look like, but um, I don't, again, I don't think it's finalized. So not to confuse uh, people who listen to us, uh, I will just say it's going to be different. I don't know how exactly. I know some conjecture at this point, but it's going to change. They always said it's going to change. Uh, so uh, but how are we going to decouple from RxJS? So, look, 
if you don't like HTTP client, for example, you can use something else, right? You can use something that is based on promises like Axios or something. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a bit harder to decouple those parts because it's nice that the framework has it and you can just use it. Uh, but imagine this. Imagine that the HTTP client is written in promise. There are no RHS and you have signals. So you, what you want to do is just write an effect, right? And uh, say that, you know, make this call and then, I don't know, uh, update this signal value. And that's it, right? So you didn't really need RHS for doing something like that. Code quality might suffer if you like like declarative programming and you enjoy this RxJS streams. But here's the neat part: we're not like throwing RxJS away. If you like RxJS, you can use it better as I described. If you don't like it, you really can uh, abandon it in the end. Um, again, I don't know what's gonna happen to the APIs that Angular has used observables right now because I mean the async ones they cannot be replaced with signals. Uh, and I don't really think that the Angular team knows how that will work. Uh, obviously, there's lots of internal discussions, lots of discussions in the social media and so on. But uh, I think the important thing here is that now, uh, funnily enough, uh, without making RxJS like less required for Angular, they kind of bring the RxJS's mental model into lots because. Obviously, there are lots of applications written in Angular right now that don't use RxJS. They would never use signals. They, they just you know have arrays and like push new values into those arrays and rely on zone.js based detection and just work fine. Uh, and lots of people look at these applications. Oh, the horror people are doing imperative programming. But in some cases, you know, it's fine. I mean, it depends on what you're building. If you're building something highly reactive, like uh, an app that has lots of different interacting components and the store and stuff. Yeah, you're going to have problems writing that in an imperative style. But but if you are doing, uh, if you are doing a, a simple app, if you are doing a medium level, let's say, app, maybe you can get by without RGS, maybe you can get by without that. But now with signals, at some point, Angular is going to say, you know, this is how my change detection works. This is how it gets triggered. This is this is how you can work with it. Like you go into SolidJS, you need to learn signals. It just doesn't have anything else. Uh, maybe in the future that would be with Angular. And at least that now it is providing it. I'm 100% sure for newcomers it's going to be easier. So more people will, will adopt it. And in the end, I think like, it's going to be inevitable that people adopt this mental model. It's a bit different from what RxJS offers, as mentioned, but it's kind of like that. We now don't treat everything as reactive, only the signals, and we build around signals. Okay. So basically, instead of signals necessarily replacing RxJS, which are... So RxJS is the closest to reactivity that we have in Angular. And then regular primitive synchronous values are the closest that we have from, um, I don't know what's the 
opposite of reactive, but yeah, it's the simplest one. So basically what you're saying is that probably there will be a mental model push that will actually make Angular developers replace the primitive values with signals. So even the even what we had before, which wasn't reactive, but Angular managed to create a workaround and make it reactive because regular class properties, they're not reactive. But with the Angular change detection mechanism, they became reactive, kind of. Uh, there are some flaws, but in general, it works. But now, instead of replacing RxJS with signals, we are probably going to replace regular property values with signals. So even the most primitive uh, things on Angular will still be reactive. Uh, I like to think about the RxJS interop uh, in, in this way, like a, a signal will be a gateway for RxJS to plug into Angular. Right now, you can just use the observable and it can cause some problems, but then you will just be able to plug in into a signal and now just work it with it. When, when something is a signal, you don't really care where, where its value came from. It's a reactive thing. You can work it right here, right now. Uh, and uh, reading values from it won't trigger anything. If you just read a value, it's going to be just a getter that will give you the current value and so on. And that's it. For RGS, it was different. If you subscribe to an observable, that's going to have some ripples go through your application, possibly. Not so much for the signals. Uh, I think now we need to really talk about the APIs that we already know about that have been made public by the preview releases. Um, uh, I think uh, there are uh, two things that are uh, that we can be fairly certain that they will be like that way. Uh, first one is obviously the signal creation. So there will be a function called signal, uh, and it will accept the initial value of that signal, and uh, it, it's going to be a generic function because, uh, for example, for arrays you're going to need to provide what sort of array that is. Uh, that's a bit of a code change because uh, now we can just do something like I don't know, count equals zero. And that's it. Now you're going to have this signal thing going on. Uh, but I don't think that's a, that's a big problem, honestly. Um, we have the uh, computed properties. Uh, and here's a cool fact about computed properties doesn't have a dependency array. Like uh, you have these sort of things in uh, React, not exactly, but for example, stuff like use memo is kind of a computed property. Uh, it was not created to be like a computed property, but it acts like it. And in React, you have to provide a dependency array. Uh, not so much in Angular, it has automatic change detection. Uh, uh, sorry, it has automatic dependency tracking. So if you write a computed property and like uh, use two different signals and return something based on them, Angular will automatically understand that those are the dependencies for this computed property. So, and again, if I read from this computed property, if I read its value, it's a signal, right, itself. 
it's not a setable signal, it's not a writable signal, but uh, it's a signal that I can read the value. If I read the value, it won't trigger uh, a computation unless the values have changed. Okay. And that's the cool part. So I don't need to provide dependencies. And also, I'm not afraid of like recomputation of stuff. So that API is, uh, I guess, pretty much finalized. You're going to have uh, computed properties. Uh, it's going to work similarly if you, if you want to draw this parallel store. Just it works similarly to like combined latest operator. Uh, so if you're not familiar with combined latest, it takes several observables and returns one observable that uh, emits every time one of them uh, emits one of the sources. And for the other observables, it returns their latest value. So you kind of are on always are on the up to the latest values. So computed properties are essentially like combined latest, but again, they are synchronous. Combined latest can be async depending on what observables used. Uh, and the final, uh, I think, pretty solid API is uh, the effect uh, API. Uh, again, it's going to have automatic dependency tracking. So whatever you use in your effect callback, uh, Angular will understand that this is uh, the values that we depend on, so no dependency arrays and such. Uh, and also, uh, it will uh, Angular will do a cleanup for us, so the effect will be disengaged. It won't work after the Angular component is destroyed. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, uh, in React, we have the problem that you cannot call uh, hooks in uh, if statements or loops or whatever. I think we don't have that problem with Angular. So it's not like we can only call it in a top level in the constructor. I think we can call an effect. We can register an effect conditionally in a method. For example, if a user clicked something, then register this effect and so on. Uh, I'm not sure about this one, but it probably will also have a like cleanup callback if we want to dispose of something that we created inside of this effect. Um, not sure about that last one though, uh, as I said. Uh, so those APIs are pretty much set in stone, like where we're going to have that. Uh, and we also were going to have some function that will turn a, a observable into a signal. Uh, probably lots of questions that people will have will be about like, uh, what if the observable never emits? So because signals are synchronous, they're going to have values. So I'm just predicting that obviously that function will probably receive in some way an initial value that you are going to provide as a developer. I don't know how the API will look like. It's not finalized, I think, yet, but uh, soon. I think next month, yeah, they said something about April or May for V16. I don't know. I don't, I don't have exact dates, so maybe this one. Uh, I think they're on, on a schedule thing, so if they don't finalize something, that will just not get released. But the core stuff will. The stuff that we just talked about will be in V16. It's already in the preview versions, as mentioned. So... Anyone listening to us, like, feel free to play with it. It's really cool. Uh, I really like how the mental model changes. Uh, how templates get simpler. Like, you don't need the async pipe. You don't need to worry about all that stuff. Just, you know, plug in a signal somewhere. It's going to work. 
just today I played with signals and I thought, I don't like that. Uh, oh, wait, we didn't talk about the signal API itself, like what a signal can do. We only said that we can create a signal. So signal is going to have like three methods. Uh, and one is obviously the set method. Uh, so set will just uh, receive a value and change the the signal's value to it, and 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 obviously propagate the changes. So it's the simplest one, and I like it a lot because it, it's sort of like saying I don't know this dot something equals to something new, and it will work. It's the same length, the same amount of characters. So which, uh, by the way, is... we can also do it by using equals, right? So if you don't want to use dot set, you can also just say like uh, signal dot value equals to the new value. And if I recall correctly, that is registered as a setter uh, method inside the signal. And then it will do the same thing as it would do if as if you had called dot set. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, maybe it was in one of the initial prototypes. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to say no either. Again, uh, those are some parts that are still in the working. I've read something on it from the Angular team, but again, it's it's a work in progress. I'm not sure about the value thing, though. I don't personally like it. It just complicates things. Like If I want to say that something is something new, then well, I would just say set this. It's fairly understandable to me. The value for me just complicates things. I know that in Vue.js, they use that value. Uh, I think in my opinion, it will kind of create a mess. What if you have nested things, like nested signals? How are you going to... Uh, you're going to write like, dot x dot value dot y dot value dot set i don't know that's gonna be a lot if you want to set an inner value or something but uh, if you want to do some deeper thing like you want to take something from the array or maybe i don't know pop the last element or something you can use update so update will give you the current version of the signal uh, in a callback. Yeah, so the first argument in the callback is going to be that uh, current value of the signal you're trying to update. And you will need to return a new value from that callback function. So it's useful when working with object, nested objects, and so on. You, you, like, you don't want to go like set and copy the previous value and so on to use set, right? Uh, and my favorite one uh, <laughs> is going to have a mutate method that works similarly to update, but you can just directly mutate the value and it will still propagate the changes. So you can kind of write code like you have right now. You can just do something like this dot uh, array dot mutate, take the array in a callback and just write something like a dot push new value and it will work. And we will not have problems with angular change detection. Now with signal because the signal will just say, I know, I know for sure I have been updated. Check me. Okay. Um, it had some problems with the uh, zone.js. Like uh, you couldn't use on push 
with components that did stuff like that, that did mutations on deeper values like nested properties of object, right? You couldn't do that with on push because Angular wouldn't know. Because on push uh, means that uh, the object uh, changes. If, if an object changes, Angular will only know if the reference has changed. It will work in a way that React does by default. So if you were doing something like that, like array.push and so on in uh, a component, you couldn't then use uh, change detection on push, right, on it. Now you can. You don't have change detection. You can just use the mutate method. And if you have some complex field with the nested properties and so on, you just do it in the mutate method. Uh, it will be short. It will be one-liner mostly. You're mutating one thing. And uh, so it's really cool that it also has the API and that you can just propagate changes without thinking about any performance things or whatever, right? Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, that's about it, about what you can do with the signals. Uh, you can just uh, make all the signals like read-only. Uh, I mean, the property itself on the class of the component because you don't need to reassign it to another signal. Uh, it's a bit like reassigning RGS observables. It was a bad practice back there, and it's going to be a bad, bad practice here. And I don't know, read-only properties are awesome. <laughs> uh, I know the reference to them won't change, so no weird bugs and some... Man, I still have five years ago, I had a bug because someone reassigned a uh, Angular reactive form value changes observable to something else. And it was a horrible bug that no one could fix for like a month. <laughs> and I still remember that. And the whole problem came from like someone reassigned an observable to something else. Now you have two subscriptions hanging and some weird race conditions and so on. Um, so yeah, it's fairly easy to do with signals. You, you don't need to reassign them anyway. You just, uh, you will just, I don't know, call set or mutate or update which one you like. So I, like this API kind of grew on me. It's a bit different from what uh, SolidJS has. In SolidJS, uh, well, you call the, the signal to get the value, same here. But uh, in SolidJS, if you call it with a new value or with a callback that returns a new value, it will uh, it will reassign, the, it will mutate the signal and propagate the change. Uh, here we have actually named methods and uh, I didn't like it initially because that does more characters to type, but uh, it kind of grew on me because it's more understandable, like exactly what is going on. Are we mutating it? Are we updating it like uh, sort of in a more functional programming way? Uh, I don't like that in functional programming. I understand why we do I, I love functional programming uh, and I understand why we want this immutability thing. We want to change reference instead of like changing message. But the code gets really ugly when you have some real-life data structures. In the examples, it's always beautiful. Okay, oh, this we copied the array and added an element. Wow, we didn't use that push. But in real life, you have an array that has elements that have arrays in them, and you need to modify like the name property of the 17th of that uh, array. And it gets really ugly. People solve it with emergeS and stuff like that, and it's cool, but... Here, you just have a method that does that. You don't need any third party for that. And it does in the same way. It it works in the same way as if you were doing the uh, update thing. Okay. In essence, you're changing it in place, but you have, you always, you read the values 
in a predictable way with that uh, function call to the signal, the calling signal. So you are not really working with the reference reference itself. You can't change it by itself. To change it, you would need to call to actually change it meaningfully. Like to, of course, you can change the underlying like reference uh, to something, but to actually get it into the UI, you would need to call one of those three methods, and uh, that's kind of solves the entire thing for me. It's funny that you talked about Emer. Um, because as soon as you were explaining the, I think it's, I don't know if it's modify or mutate with the, the name of the method, but I, I think it's something like that. So it would be like signal dot mutate, and then you give it a callback function, which takes the current value. And in the, inside that function, you can do as many mutations as you want. And it will just um, update the signal because the reference is still the same. So it just knows that you are just making changes to the same uh, pointer reference. You're not changing the pointer reference. And yeah, that that is true. Like I am, I am a huge fan of functional programming, but it does get complex. Like uh, I, for one, don't even like Emer.js. I much prefer something more explicit because Emer has situations where it doesn't work as expected. So I tend to use FPTS for general data structures for functional programming. And I I also, like, if I had to choose between Emer or Immutable.js, I would probably go with Immutable.js, which is a bit more complex than Emer because Emer just allows you to deal with the data structures that you already know, but allowing you to, to turn that into immutable structures. But immutable jazz introduces uh, alternative data structures for the ones that we actually know, but they are slightly different in the way that you interact with them. So every time that you make a change, instead of actually changing the data structure, it returns a new data structure with the change that you applied. So it's a different uh, mental model for sure, which can be annoying. I think you you like immutable jazz because you don't work with NGRX much. If you, <laughs> if you write lots of reducers, you're going to love Emer. Uh, and I don't think immutable GS data structures are serializable, right? They aren't. Yeah. So you can't yeah. put them in a store. Uh, it's not a problem per se. Obviously, mm-hmm. it has its own use cases. Uh, and I have, uh, I have looked into immutable GS in the past, and it has really some nice stuff going on. But... Uh, in more uh, environments where you kind of like uh, work with uh, serializable data and you work with arrays and you work with nested objects and so on. Emer just saves you a lot of time. It saves you a lot of typing. Uh, and it does make the... Uh, it really does make the chain of, you know, mutating things. Because essentially you're mutating something in the end, like in broader sense, like this array was this, and now it changed. However, it was changed is really irrelevant to someone who is reading it. So when when we do this functional programming thing, is like you know, in your new array reference, copy the old array, blah blah blah. We are introducing like technicalities into our uh, code base, like 
We don't do it because we are doing some business logic. We're doing it to work around some memory thing. We're doing it to have this style of working with stuff. And it's good. It's not bad. It's just that visually it can be, it is definitely harder to explain to someone who's new to all of that stuff. Um, someone would just look at it. You you can explain what it does and say, why are you using array push? Now you're going to explain why it's using array push. Emer will allow you to use array push just and just get the same result without it. Uh, and it's very, very simple. It's like one of the simplest APIs ever. You just just do whatever you want with it. That's it. One function, produce new value. That's it. I think it's it's a real good thing that we have it and we have an integration with NGRX. So now we're talking about NGRX again. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I always talk about NGRX in the end. That, that's how it goes. Um, I... I I like where this is going. I I like the idea of avoiding unnecessary complexity. My fear is always that we might avoid complexity by introducing too much magic. And then people won't necessarily know how it works. And I tend to prefer typing more and being more explicit than typing less and uh, depending on something that could be confusing to other developers. Not that Emer is confusing necessarily, but it does introduce some magic, which if you don't understand how it works in the background, then you might find yourself in situations where you would expect a particular code to work and then it doesn't. And then the, ma the magic falls down and you have to actually understand how it works in the background. So that's annoying. And that's actually... Uh, one last question that I had for you, Armin, before we wrap things up. I know that uh, this is already a pretty long episode, but one last question that I, I want to ask you is how, and that's a personal opinion. So for you, what do you think about those magic utilities that Angular is introducing? I see that this started out with the inject function, and now it seems like we're getting more of this functions that they don't just do what it seems that they do, but they also do some magical things in the background. For example, the fact that um, computations in signals don't need a manual uh, dependency tracking, like Angular automatically detects the dependencies that you're using inside your computed signal. That is like a small magic, but it's still magic. You have to um, I, I don't see that being a foot gun in many situations, but I must say that I find it to be a bit annoying to me just in the sense that uh, th just the overall concept of this because I like functional programming because it provides um, stability in, in my mental model. Like I like pure functions. That's it. Like, I like the idea of a function that receives the same inputs and returns the same outputs. And with the inject function, with the with computed signals, we start to lean on towards the side of, it looks like functional programming because you're dealing with individual functions, but it doesn't fully comply 
with all the requirements to be considered pure functional programming because it isn't pure. But at the same time, I know that like, if you get rid of that magic, then you would trade off too much of the developer experience in favor of just being explicit. So I understand that balance, but I want to know how do you feel about that balance? Do you like the how Angular is going with this? Do you think that it's in the right point? Or do you think it should lean more towards being more explicit? Or do you think it should lean more towards being even more implicit and doing more automatic automatic things for the developers? Uh, it's a really good question. Uh, funny that you started with the inject function, though. Inject function is how Angular did change detection, always. It's just that the function was made public uh, for using it. And uh, to be honest, it's really surprising that that wasn't like public way before that. Um, Another thing about that, uh, when we say magic and uh, we have like more magic now or less magic, isn't it magic that the framework is randomly guessing that maybe something changed somewhere and traversing all this component tree and finding something or maybe in most cases actually not finding anything so that you as a developer can have the illusion that the values are being updated in the view reactor. Uh, they're not. <laughs> like, literally, they're not. You're just changing the property on a class. Angular will somehow deduce at some point that it's changed. Uh, that's a lot of magic, I think. Definitely having a reactive thing that just notifies via a callback or something that something here has changed is way less magic than what we have right now. And about the automatic dependency tracking. So when you read a signal, obviously because this is something that Angular provided you, if you read a signal and it's in the name, it signals that someone is working with this letter, like someone is sort of subscribing in this time. So if you are using them in a computed property, that function is going to run. The signals inside of it are going to run the read, the read operations on them. So immediately, you should just after this one call via tracking the references to all the signals, you, have, you just know that this computed property is working on these two, let's say, signals and no more. So there isn't any magic to it. If What is magic for me is having a dependency array that um, what does it even do? What if I forget something in, to put it there? What if I don't put anything there? What if I put more than I needed to put there? That That's kind of more magic. Like, imagine all sorts of bugs that can come out of a situation like this. Like, you need to provide this signal and that signal so Angular knows that you're doing. It's even worse for effects. Because computed properties, like, they just return a value. Uh, if if something uh, has changed in the, this hypothetical uh, dependency array that you didn't really need, worst case scenario, you will just recompute a value, okay? But in an effect, there, there's a bunch of stuff going on. HTTP calls, you're going to put that into an effect callback. And if you have a bad dependency array, that's a thing that's 
that's a real life problem for React developers. This dependency thing, what if I don't put something and cyclic dependencies, I put something, then I change something inside the use effect callback and so on. I mean, those are legit problems that people face every day uh, with solutions that from some perspective don't have magic. But this magic is good <laughs> because it automates away something that really could be a food gun and now we just don't have it. If we look at other things that they're introducing, like, for example, um, destroy ref, right? They introduce now you can just pull it anywhere and uh, listen to the destruction of a context in which some function is working, right? Uh, well, does it sound like uh, magic? For me, initially it did, because, oh, you know, cool. Then I remembered that we always had a view ref Right? We always could inject the view reference and get the destroy thing from it. We just needed a bit of convincing. They just decoupled it and made it a better API. It's still working the same way. And we get it. It will all do. Like, uh, the ability to write required inputs. They're going to add required inputs in V16. They always made some announcements there. Um, isn't it magic that it can tell you, like, compile time that some of your uh, components are declared, uh, sorry, called in the wrong manner? It's sort of magic, but, you know, it, it, it helps a lot. And so this whole, uh, I think, uh, problem with lots of uh, frameworks and with Angular to some extent, too, is that people need to like, kind of, like, look under the hood a lot. That's not a good thing. I mean... In very advanced scenarios, yeah, possibly you're probably gonna need that. But uh, in React, uh, if we look at React, do we have to really know that you know uh, the component function is gonna be called again, and this effect works like this, and that works like that, and that is async, and that is sync, and that is, there is use layout effect, and uh, things like uh, people are creating, for example, like callbacks using use callback. Why? Because of how React works, we need uh, use callback there because of how React works. But if you really think about it, why don't we need something like an Angular? Because Angular does change detection differently. That's it. There are no calling this function again and getting another reference to the same function, and so on. It's not magic. It's just how it works. Uh, in Angular, lots of people got themselves into all this, oh, how this change detection works, why, what is on JS, and so what is this horrible expression has changed after it has been checked error, right? And it's all part of, like, peeping under the hood, seeing how it works. It's really good. It's better to focus on writing your business logic. Uh, it's definitely more productive, right? And uh, so... I don't think there is any magic going on there. I think uh, reducing the amount of time that we need to look into the source code. I want to look into the source code only to learn from better developers. That, that's why I like reading source code. I don't want to read the source code to understand why my application is working. Uh, I don't want it to be this tightly coupled with how under the hood it all works and so on. That's why uh, I think all of these improvements are good. I might dislike some of the APIs. I've seen some other conjectures. I, As I said, I won't talk about them. Some of them I didn't like. 
but I like the idea of what they're solving, of what they're changing. So um, that's it, I guess. <laughs> I think we're going to need another signals episode when they are actually uh, out uh, in a stable version. Uh, but I think that's going to be a way more like hands-on episode where we're going to talk about specific applications and how different problems got solved. Definitely. But I like that we could already talk about the conceptual things that it solves. Um, so I think that was extremely relevant either way, especially because since we're a podcast, then even when we get very hands-on, it's still not very hands-on because we can't really show the code to the audience. So I think that talking about the concepts of why this is being introduced, the problem that it solves, and in general, which features it has and how you can interact with them, that's already extremely valuable. And then everyone that is more interested in seeing how that looks like in practice can just uh, look for articles on that and actually see the code examples, which unfortunately is not something that we can show since we're audio only. But I think that was really valuable uh, to me. I can definitely say that I have been um, taking a closer look into Signals. And I think you gave a really great picture of everything. I feel much more confident in my understanding of Signals after this episode. So I think the, the goal was very much achieved, but we can definitely talk about this more when Angular 16 gets released. And then we can actually even talk about uh, the other things that we touched here, such as required inputs. Um, can we remove zone? How would that look like? And et cetera. So things that are more specific to how That's Angular is going to implement. Yeah, yeah more interesting in-depth direction. Yeah. Definitely. All right, so let's get, uh, let's start wrapping up things. So, Armin, what do you want to promote? Do you have anything that you would like to share with the audience, not as picks, but as something that you're working on, uh, that you're excited and you want to share with the audience? Uh, yeah, recently I've been on a sort of a writing spree, let's call it that. Uh, well, you know, I'm writing lots of articles, but in the last four weeks, I am doing a series on Angular directives. And uh, man, did that really change my perspective on the whole template thing in Angular? I just now look at different uh, Angular templates, Angular components. I think, oh man, they're all doing this wrong. There, there are other ways. There are other ways of doing this. Uh, and directives are really powerful tool. They're just not like... Uh, they're not just like little playthings to add something. They can really change the architecture of your application. So I'm writing a series on Angular directives. I already have four articles. I'm talking about how to work with events using directives, how to modify the behavior of existing components and directives. Um, in the next one, I'm going to talk a bit about, uh, you know, transcending component boundaries to send templates to other places. That's also possible in Angular. And you can do that with Angular directives. I have done it and I'm writing it next, the next fifth part on it. So uh, I will drop a link uh, for the series. So you're welcome to read that. Uh, they are all uh, very step-by-step -step examples on, on real-life use cases. 
For example, in one article, we are building a password strength validator with an Angular directive and exploring all the different features and capabilities that they have on the way. So each article is a use case, detailed, step-by-step. So it's fairly interesting, I think. Uh, I highly recommend to all Angular developers, regardless of their like skill level. So yeah, that's it. Uh, that's what I'm going to promote this week. Nice. I definitely noticed that. Uh, so... Uh, we are connected on LinkedIn and I saw all the posts that you made about Angular directives and all the other posts that you that you do about Angular. And I did notice that you were posting very frequently. So congrats, man. That, that takes a lot of effort. We had an episode about content creation. It sounds so easy looking from the outside, but it's extremely hard to sit down and um, transpose your thoughts into writing in a didactic way for the audience. So congrats, that that is really impressive. Uh, in my side of things, I'm only going to promote Envoid. So I am the CEO, so I could be biased, but I truly believe that we are the best uh, solution for Angular-based projects. And what do we do? We can work either in a staff augmentation model or in a fully managed outsourcing model. So if your company or yourself wants to develop anything for the web, so you want a web application, then you can either hire us and fully delegate this project. We can do it from scratch from you. So design, development, uh, the project management. So we can do all that and you don't have to worry about anything. And we will do it in such a way that the code is so well written that you don't have a locking with us. So if by if in any situation you want to stop our partnership and have your own in-house team, they will be able to understand everything because it is good code. It was done in an organized fashion. But also if you want a more uh, hybrid approach and you just want to extend your team with other uh, excellent Angular developers, then we can also work in that way. So that would be staff augmentation. We can also work like that. So everything that we do, we can do it as fully managed outsourcing or staff augmentation. So if you're interested in working with professionals that are highly specialized in Angular and functional programming, then uh, check out Envoy.com and let's let's talk. So this will be my my promo. All right, Armin, thank you so much. And yeah, man, come up more times. Every time that you come to the show, you give us really in-depth content. So, well, I guess that that's also one of the reasons why you're not here always because you really take your time to have in-depth content to bring. But every time that you're here, I get excited with what we're going to talk about. And I know that it's going to be in-depth because you always go in-depth into the de- into the details. So I highly appreciate that. Thank you for your time. Thanks, man. Thanks for a great discussion. Really nice. Hopefully, have an- we'll have another one on this topic in the awesome. future when I get a release. Yeah. Definitely will. All right. See you next week. Bye-bye.